Hi, this is Michael Soto. And I'm Sam Garman. You're listening to Transform. The podcast where we explore stories and experiences of folks who are transgender. Beyond the transition. One, two, three, four. What did your mom say? What is your real name? How about those drugs that you take? And does your voice change? How come you don't feel ashamed? What kind of love do you make? But you don't care about my answers. Your questions ignore me. Let me tell you a story. As many of you may remember from our coming out stories, both Michael and I grew up in faith traditions True. Um, and experienced, I think I can say, some grief and loss um, mm-hmm. in losing our faith traditions as a result of coming out. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's been a marked absence, uh, at least in my life, because I haven't found an affirming faith community, um, but I'm very happy that you have. Yeah. And so that's uh, been part of my journey as I found an affirming faith community and it was yeah. a big part of my healing. But we know that there are lots of trans folks who haven't found that kind of healing or who are still walking around with scars from having uh, left communities that did not support them or affirm them um, or who seek to have that kind of community, Mm -hmm. but haven't found a place where that is possible for them. Yeah. So we um, we're tackling faith and being trans today. um, And we have an amazing interview uh, for you with an incredible clergy member um, that I'll let Sam fully introduce. Uh, But we wanted to do this interview Um, basically to say that if that is a community that you long for, if you, uh, if that is an important part of your healing process and your process as a person, um, that there are affirming safe communities of faith, uh, for trans folks. Um, and you're going to get to hear this incredible interview with this absolutely amazing person who has just blown my mind. Uh, and <laughs> I think Sam and I both had multiple moments where we were like, that's the best thing that anybody's ever said, <laughs> you know? So we hope that uh, you enjoyed the interview. Yeah. We know you're going to love this interview with M Barclay. Um, and so without further ado, uh, we hope you enjoy. So to kick us off today, we are so excited to have M Barclay with us. Um, as I understand it, are you the only or just the first non-binary person to be ordained within the United Methodist Church? I, the first openly that I know of, although I'm I'm clergy, but I'm only commissioned and not ordained, and it's it's a weird difference in the Methodist Church. But uh, the only openly non-binary clergy that I'm aware of, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, will you introduce yourself and tell you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Reverend M. Barclay. I use they, them pronouns. I identify as bi and non-binary. Uh, I am the director of an organization called Enfleshed. Uh, we believe that words about God that don't have anything to do with the flesh of trans people and the flesh of women and, the, and black flesh and brown flesh and the flesh of the earth, um, they don't have anything to do with that, then they're not actually about uh, the sacred. Uh, and um, I have uh, been commissioned in the United Methodist Church for about a year and a half, about after a 12-year journey of struggling um, in order to get to that that place. Uh, and my 
work is focused on the intersections of faith and social justice. And I'm really passionate about rethinking uh, the ways in which we understand the divine um, manifesting in the world and our lives and the earth around us. Uh, and I'm a total nerd about all of it. And there's just not much I can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like we're lucky that you're a nerd about that uh, and making some, doing some really amazing work in the world. Thank you. Um, can you share with us, you mentioned you're commissioned and not ordained. Can you just share what the difference is? Um, just kind of curious, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, every uh, Christian denomination has kind of a different process. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the Methodist church, um, we, so when you go through the ordination process, the first sort of approval stage is called being commissioned. Um, and you become clergy then, but there's there's still some um, some pieces of being clergy that are held back for about two years while you go through um, a residency program. Uh, And then you go in front of the board of ordained ministry again, and you're ordained at that point. And it's kind of like the difference between, you know, being an untenured professor and a tenured professor. It's one way I've kind of heard it explained. Um, But uh, yeah, it's like an almost fully, (laughs) well, you're, it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's hard to explain. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So uh, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, sort of how you got where you are now? Sure. You know, I, it's always so hard to kind of like make it into a (laughs) digestible story. I, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, uh, all the way through college. And so I come from a really fundamentalist background. Um, and, uh, I kind of thrived in that environment all the way through, uh, halfway through college when I finally started to be exposed to systems of oppression for the first time. Um, and I am a a nerd in ways outside of theology. I just, I love learning and I love learning through books and classes. And so once I was starting to be exposed to the world being so much bigger and different than I had been taught it was, um, I, uh, I knew I wanted to go to seminary and, uh, I was trying to shed some of my fundamentalist beliefs, but, uh, I was only given access to sort of new political lens, but I was really struggling to figure out how to keep my faith, uh, while my politics changed. Um, mm-hmm. and it was a really confusing time and I had to do a lot of, of wrestling and uh, in Pensacola, I just wasn't um, exposed, you know, maybe with the internet, it would be different um, in a different time. But at the time I just, I didn't even have access to, to books outside of the particular perspectives of the people who surrounded me. I just didn't know how to yeah. even find them. Uh, and so it wasn't until I went to seminary when I was in my, almost mid-20s, when I was finally exposed to things like queer theology and liberation theology and black theology. And feminist theology in particular was kind of my my gateway theology. <laughs> understanding of, Isn't feminism always the yeah, gateway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in so many ways, right? Um, and it just changed everything for me. I Feminist theology broke open so many narratives in my life, um, both about God and just about being human in general, um, that it taught me to make myself small 
um, and that that was a kind of contribution to the world in some way. Uh, and feminist theology really helped me see that as a lie that I had inherited, um, which really began to help me heal in so many ways, including creating the space in myself to finally recognize myself as queer. Took me a few more years before I recognized myself as non-binary because nobody was using that language anywhere around me. I didn't even know it was a possibility. Um, but over the next two years after that, my I was just so set free by the taste of that kind of theology that I just dove right in. And the more radical perspectives on God that I found, the more like free I felt. And it's kind of been that way ever since. Um, but I was about seven years into my ordination process in the Methodist Church when I came out. And, you know, in our denomination, you're still not allowed to be clergy and queer. Uh, and so I assumed all that would go down the drain pretty quickly. Um, but somehow here I am, <laughs> you know, eight years from that point, And I'm, you know, so out about my queerness and my transness. And I've been through hell and back. Um, but uh, in the midst of a lot of discrimination, particularly when I was in Texas and I first came out publicly in the process uh, to try to be ordained, um, it was, a, it was a really hard time, but people really, a small pocket of people really um, have journeyed with me and advocated with and for me. Um, and, and, you know, I've been exposed to, I think there's almost 200 of us who are openly queer in the United Methodist Church as clergy, even though the rules prevent it. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I have been a part of this group of people who are, you know, proudly claiming not only their queer identities, but the queerness of our faith um, in the midst of a really violent system. And it's, it's really hard uh, and really meaningful. Um, and I don't know how long I can kind of stay in that place of tension, but I'm glad I've done it so far. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, that sounds like kind of a brutal uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. Does, is there any, does there, does there show like any signs that that policy might be changing or that there's movement towards that? Um, so the practice has been changing for a while, you know, like again, almost 200 of us, like people have been supporting us and choosing to break the rules. Um, but the, the policy uh, is really complicated. We're a global denomination. And so wow. um, we only get together, you know, every four years to even have a chance to vote on it. But wow. because uh, fortunately, I'm proud to say the movement for change has caused, uh, intentionally caused such anxiety on the institution by breaking the rules for so long that um, in 2016, people started saying like, fine. <laughs> like, we agree this is a problem. We have to talk about it. Let's, you know, let's do something. And wow. so um, for the first time since I think the 60s, uh, we're having a special global gathering outside of our four-year term. And that'll happen in February. And we will only be gathering in order to address um, what the denomination is going to do about whether or not it's going to keep discriminating against LGBTQ people. And I think um, the hard thing is, is that um, 
we're looking at the possibility of things actually getting worse. Um, or we're looking at the possibility of, um, nothing happened, no, nothing happening. Um, or the best, um, that most people think can happen is this plan that is just basically a way for the church to say, we agree to disagree, which I, I just find just terrible. (laughs) So uh, the the queer people, not all of us, obviously, we don't all agree on much of anything. But <laughs> a, a group of us, a group of us who are just unwilling to say that you know anything better than at least just removing the discriminatory policies. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to say something nice, you know. Just like <laughs> just take away the the violent stuff. Um, we're kind of rallying for like anything short of that is just. It's just nothing worth taking, you know. Yeah. It's crumbs. It's less than crumbs, and we've had that too long. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this sounds like a priv- pivotal moment in your faith community. Um, it is. Yeah. yeah, a lot is hanging on the line. Definitely. Yeah. Where will this uh, meeting take place? Is it here in the United States or elsewhere? Uh, St. Louis. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Is that an important place for the Methodist faith, or is that just uh, where it's going to be this time? Yeah, it's somewhere different every time, and and it was probably what's available in February, you know, <laughs> and big and portable and all that. Yeah, Makes sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, wow. interesting. We'll be, I mean, we'll be keeping an eye on yeah. how that shakes yeah. out because that sounds like, I mean, that's a that the Methodists are what the third largest denomination in the country. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's really um it's going to be a really big deal not uh not just for queer people but uh, certainly the future of the whole denomination is kind of in flux right now mm-hmm. because we're so divided over this um and I think that the Methodist church um is kind of seen as an indicator of a lot for the rest of the country in terms of politics and mm-hmm. um, and so it really feels like what happens in February, you know, could be an indicator for all of us about <laughs> kind of what the future might look like a little bit for that's an, the rest of sort of you know the population to to a degree. That's yeah. really interesting. I mean, it's a interesting. I work in politics, so it's uh, definitely a changing time in politics as well. So um, <laughs> all of these sort of like little bellwethers, sort of leading up to the twenty twenty election, especially, are really interesting yeah. for me. You know, just yeah. kind of watching as these shifts in long held beliefs, right. Or long held policies by institutions, uh, begin to change. Uh, yeah, hopefully I hope it's a moment of hope for all of you, um, yeah. that are impacted by this. So, um, so knowing that the Methodist church is, does not have an affirming stance, um, mm-hmm. or an inclusive stance, what, uh, made you choose the Methodist church? Mm-hmm. Well, so I was born into a household that was half Methodist and half Catholic. Um, and my parents decided that the firstborn child would be Catholic with my dad. And the second would be Methodist with my mom. So I um, wow. have spent most of my life in Methodist church. Uh, I left for a little bit um, in my teen and again, early college ages and left for like evangelical non-denominational kind of churches um but then uh i was told because of my gender before i transitioned that i wasn't allowed to be clergy 
And then I went back to the Methodist church and they kind of helped me, you know, undo that belief. And then later we're like, oh, but you're queer. So never mind. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. That is quite the journey. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> And I, know, yeah. and I know you mentioned um, like social justice drive yeah. now. Is that kind of what drew you to be a reverend or what mm. what drew you? That's a great question. Um, I think originally, uh, again, in my like really politically conservative home uh, region, I I didn't know. I mean, the church was the obvious place to me um, if I wanted to be in some kind of vocation of service of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I didn't know no justice as a concept, but I knew that I liked working with people and I liked working towards something better for all of us. Uh, and the church just seemed like the vehicle at the time to do that. Uh and certainly my understanding of what that looks like has shifted so much. Um, but I do think that 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 desire to 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 help what I, I don't you know, in the vaguest of ways <laughs> um was kind of the original component. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um what what is your I mean, I think I can think so of so many things right now just in the what you've already discussed, but what do you feel is your sort of unique contribution to ministry? Hmm. Um, I'm my, I've really tried to embrace my nerdiness on something that is, can be helpful to some people. I, I really like thinking about, um, God in new ways. I mean, and inviting people into doing that, um, for themselves and with other people. Uh, and so, you know, I feel like there's not always a lot of places in typical church life, um, to think radically different about Hmm. what it means to, you know, use the word God and what that means in the world. And so, um, when I get to either lead a class or, give kind of a lecture or be on a panel or do writing um, that gives people the chance to like think wholly other from how they usually think. And I really enjoy that kind of thing. And they can, you know, they don't have to stay there with me. They can go back and take, you know, what worked or what didn't or what they're ready for kind of thing. But I really like really like pushing people to think really different, at least for a moment. That's, a, um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a really important contribution to, I think, to any people of faith, right? Pushing people to see and think about God a little differently. Yeah. Um, I remember that my so I go to a I go to a super affirming um, Christian church, and I was talking with my pastor, and I was like, you know, what do you feel like? You know, what do you what do you feel like is important for the church about embracing LGBTQ folks? And he said, well, if God creates people in his image, uh-huh. then there is something about the real the existence of gay and trans people that tells us something about God uh-huh. and that we can't understand God unless we yeah. embrace those folks. And I like I got teary. So I grew up in a super, super conservative mm-hmm. place. And so to, to hear him embrace that as a part of 
the nature of God. I was just like, I, yeah. you know, I'm not crying. It's fine. It's going to be fine. I don't know why everyone's so teary in here. <laughs> this is pepper. It's pepper or something. <laughs> Who's chopping onions? Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I also grew up in a really conservative faith in the LDS faith um, where gender roles are and gender are seen in a very different sense than society understands them in many ways now. Uh, and that made sort of my coming out challenging um, mm-hmm. in my family and faith traditions. So, um, you know, I've had to think a lot about my own view of God, you know, in that sort of process of coming out and coming from all of us, right. Have faith backgrounds. Um, and how has your, your sort of personal journey in life um, and your gender identity and your queerness, um, how has that informed or grown or changed your understanding of God? Mm. Oh, so much <laughs> in every single way. <laughs> um, so I feel like one one sort of tangible thing that comes to mind is so I remember when I when I first came out as non-binary, um, it was at a time where I I'd moved from Texas and it felt so hard to public publicly claim an identity like non-binary in 2013. I mean, I feel like so much has changed since then. Yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, it felt impossible, but I also didn't have a choice because I knew who, that's who I was and I, I couldn't hold it in any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a really hard time. I just didn't have the like confidence about it in the same way that I did about my queerness of sexual orientation. Um, and then the more that I like, allowed myself to express my gender in the ways that were authentic to me walking around Chicago and like experiencing people saying things to me and staring at me and threatening me. Um, it was such a hard time. It was such a hard time. And, and now I'm in a very different place about all of it. But one of the sort of gifts of that time was the ways in which I started to understand um, strangeness, um, especially around like what is so strange to most people in our country, like saying there are more than two genders and I'm going to do it this totally different way. And that kind of strangeness that elicits violence, that elicits people's threats and hate, um, is a sacred thing. Uh, and the more that I've kind of embraced that and I've started to recognize it deeply in the world that like God is strangeness, um, and that really has shaped kind of my understanding of the Christian narrative, mm. um, how it, how how God manifests in the world, and and gives me a kind of courage uh, to not only be strange in my gender and sexual orientation, but also in my ethics and um, in the ways in which I navigate the world. Uh, and the priorities I, I choose um, in the midst of all these systems that would have me make different choices. That's a really powerful point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea that, I mean, I think, yeah, I think I, I have no words for that. I'm <laughs> just going to keep processing it. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. That's yeah. really powerful. Uh, it's, I am always struck when I have the opportunity to talk with people of faith or clergy members um, that have a truly inclusive understanding of God. Um, and I wish that 
there was more of that uh, in the world yeah. and in American Christianity in particular, because yeah. I think um, the kind of God that you're talking about um, is not a God that believes that trans people or that migrants or that poor people or that women should be um, held, you know, held as less than um, yeah. just because of who we are. So uh, yeah. thank you for that yeah. work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to know, um, I know you talked about your, your desire for social justice. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the things that you are really working for in the, in the work that you're doing now? And, and are you finding that the church that you're currently working with, um, is supportive of those things and is sort of driving those things with you? Mm, Those are such good questions. Um, I'm going to start from the back end and go the other way. Uh, The church in terms of the denomination largely no like as a as a whole denomination my my politics and my ethics are are pretty um different than the majority of of what the system proclaims um my local church is is pretty awesome i still travel back to chicago once a month and worship with um, my faith community there uh, and they're just wonderful people who are really advocating for all for justice and in so many different ways and directions and understand that to be the the core of our faith life um and so they are definitely i learned from them and um they're they're an incredible community to be a part of and there's a lot of local communities that invite me to come um be with them and i would say they are you know sharing at least similar understandings of the faith as a form of uh what sustains us in the work for justice. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's all so complicated, but I, you know, my expertise in terms of experience is so centered around, uh, queer and trans intersections, um, of justice in the church, uh, because that's, you know, how a lot of people know me because of the discrimination I faced uh, in Texas that, you know, led me to be a part of uh, the larger movement in the United Methodist Church for LGBTQ justice. And I love doing that work, um, both in the Methodist Church and other churches. Uh, There's not a whole lot of uh, trans clergy who, you know, have the the privilege of, of doing work with other churches around trans justice. And so most often people are inviting me to come uh, focus specifically on queer and trans justice, which I always you know, do through an intersectional lens of, to the best of my ability. That matters to me a lot. Um, but my passions, it's frustrating sometimes because I get why that's what, you know, people <laughs> invite me to, to do in the church, but I care so much um, about white supremacy uh, being addressed especially in, in the white church. And uh, that is my top priority. Uh, and um, I, I wish that everybody were begging for more people to come and talk about white supremacy. Um, and especially as a white, queer, and trans person, you know, it's just so easy for churches to really, you know, feel like they're pushing themselves and they are in so many ways, uh, by inviting me. Um, but, uh, man, you know, it's just so easy for all of us who are white to feel like we're 
we're making really deep and important strides by listening to to other white people. And and that's an important part of the work. Like white people need to teach white people. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, something that I am always trying to do in my work. Um, but I but it's always through conversations around queerness and transness, you know, and mm-hmm. they're just pros and cons um, to all of that. Uh, and then I feel similarly about like, I, again, you know, feminist theology is what helps me be free. And um, I wish there were more energy and excitement about continuing those conversations in the church, too. Um, yeah. and, and outside of it, you know, the same things apply, <laughs> whether <laughs> in a faith community or not, like we're seeing the same challenges are there for sure. Definitely, uh, especially in terms of addressing both white supremacy and patriarchy, right? Yeah. Those two. Uh, a lot of people don't want to have those conversations. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they also yeah. just fit so beautifully together, white supremacy they and do. patriarchy. They it's like they really, were made for each other. Yeah, they just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> wait a minute. Well, that, I mean you know, that white supremacy work, like tackling white supremacy right now, it seems to be thriving so much specifically in white evangelical communities that that seems like a really important discussion to have with people of faith um, and to do that work. So any way that you can enter that work, you know, you're doing the work that needs to be happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What do you see as the, so I think about, I think about the ways in which, um, the black church was so deeply involved in the civil rights movement. Um, and I'm wondering what you see as like, if you could direct churches to do the right thing, like what would you see as their role in the movement for justice now in, Mm. in 2018? Mm. Oh, I love that question. I mean, I think like, ideally, there, you know, it sounds, I want to say, you know, this doesn't happen, that that's not true. There are churches doing this kind of work, and they feel like home to me. Um, They're just far Mm -hmm. from the majority. But, you know, there there are the churches that are, that are joining with grassroots movements who aren't being, you know, funded by major, (laughs) major funders, but are, are just the people living um, and situations that are crying out for liberation. And so churches that are, you know, standing between white supremacists and, um, and people of color in Charlottesville, like, you know, the clergy that come to actually put their bodies uh, in those spaces. Um, churches that are, you know, not just looking, not just advocating for immigration reform, but advocating for the abolition of ICE, you know, like uh-huh. that's, that's the kind of um, work that I think we are called to as Christians is like that actual disruption of the, not just an immediate problem, but the whole system that's telling lies about who we are and who's of more or less value and whose lives matter and whose don't. Um, actually choosing to place ourselves in the midst of the most tense areas right now. Um, instead, most of the churches, you know, fall in line with re- respectability politics and only want to align themselves with uh, issues of justice that are reflective of, you know, liberal politics. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not 
uh, that's not reflective of, of my faith or, you know, certainly not everybody, every Christian's either, but, um, yeah, the edges, the edges of the work, I think is where we're called to be. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I think about a lot of trans people that I know and, uh, and, and queer people that I know too, um, many of whom may be listening to this podcast who have wounds from churches, um, some of which are healing and some of which are not. Um, and I wonder what, um, you would say to them about how God feels about them or how your, your view of God includes them. I would want to say, you know, first of all, the most basic thing that, like, I forget how important it is to say over and over and over and over the things that, um, the things that are so simple that we've been lied to our, about our whole lives, and that, that trans people are beloved inherently, um, no matter what, no matter, like, how any given trans person's life unfolds and what choices, um, we make in order to thrive, like whatever leads us to thrive, um, is actually God. <laughs> it's not even just okay with God. It is the work of God. Whatever saves our lives, whatever keeps us turning towards each other, whatever empowers us to work collectively for the life of our people, that is God. Um, and I, I would I just, I would hope for anybody um, who has been told otherwise to figure out for themselves, to try to figure out for themselves um, what they need in order uh, to believe uh, that they, their life is, is worthy. And again, that the strangeness, if anybody's willing to accept, uh, you know, that word for themselves, the strangeness is a gift, not not only to ourselves, but to the church, if we're a part of it, um, and just to the world in general. Uh, and if somebody, you know, needs to return to a religious space in order to, to be uh, gifted back the truth that always was, which is the love of God is for them too, then, you know, try to find an affirming church. There are tons of them um, growing day by day, which thank goodness. Um, but if, if religion and, or Christianity in particular is never going to be a place of healing, don't feel like you have to return to that place in order to get it. Look at another faith or find other ways of, of connecting to um, your own source of sacredness. Um, outside of institutional religion there's so many ways to heal um, and believing that we're worth putting in the work of healing um, is such an important part to getting there yeah wow that is an incredible message to share with people sam and i we're like both just like oh my gosh <laughs> having this moment of like <laughs> Getting a little teary. Really love hearing this. It is fine. Yeah. It is fine. It's fine. It's really beautiful. Um, and I think you've just articulated, I think, what I love most about, personally, about queerness and transness in our community is that um, that we don't fit, right? That we're strange, like the way that strangeness, right? Like that is an asset, right? That is this beautiful experience in the world that is beneficial in so many ways from politics to faith, right? Yeah. So one thing we do in every episode is we do an ally moment where we 
um, talk to the folks who are listening to this, who are allies to the trans community. Um, and I was wondering if you would uh, maybe help us uh, with an ally moment that yeah. is specifically for allies who are within the church uh-huh. um, or who are pastors of churches or, you know, decision makers at churches and how can churches be good allies to the trans community and to, and to the trans people who they either know or don't know might be within their pews. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's so much work to be done and it's hard to choose, but I'm going to say two things. Uh, the first being, um, if the conversation hasn't been started, please start it, whether it's in one Sunday school or in a youth group um, or as a whole congregation or a sermon. I don't care, you know, what little section. No place is too small to start, but choosing to start the conversation um, before uh, some kid or teenager or adult longing for community shows up and has to bear the burden of being um, the reason the church decides, you know, it may or may not want to start talking about trans people. I've heard so many stories, especially of of teens um, who are part of faith communities and they come out and then, you know, then the church has to decide through this one life um, how they're going to, you know, respond to um, to a trans person and whether or not they're going to commit to being the kind of church where um, trans people are, are welcome and understood as a vital part of the faith. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, and it's, it's so violent what it does to that person. Um, whether, even if it turns out to lead to something beautiful, it should have been done before that person. Yeah. Um, and so I would just ask people to like start before. Um, and then the other thing would be uh, prioritize uh, addressing white supremacy. I mean, there's when we talk about addressing white supremacy, all trans people benefit from that. Yep. Um, when we don't talk about addressing white supremacy um, while we talk about trans stuff, only some trans people benefit from that. Uh, and so, you know, I know so many churches and so many allies um, with such good intentions uh, bring trans staff uh, to the table as um, a, a, a siloed conversation. Um, but I think that we really might be doing more damage than not um, the more we kind of perpetuate that singular thinking. And so, you know, if conversations are already happening or justice work is being done in a faith community around trans stuff, and there's no conversation about the role of white supremacy and creating this gender binary in the Western white world, um, or, the, or the ways in which the church has uh, been a part of uh, eradicating other genders through white supremacy, um, then there's some real good work for an ally to, to uh, re, reshape that focus. That is fantastically yes. helpful. Those are, those are two uh, great action steps. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Those are, yeah. Thank you. Um, one thing that uh, sort of Sam and I have been talking about a bit in part because of the films that were released this fall 
um, is conversion therapy, religious conversion therapy. Um, <laughs> and I think something that sort of we were talking about before we started recording was um, a harmful practice in communities of faith being uh, sort of lab- the labeling of a loving practice that is actually a harmful practice. Yeah. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, it's, um, I remember when I was a fundamentalist Christian and I was anti-queer, I didn't know anything about transness at the time, but um, I was anti-queer because of love or so I thought, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted the best for people. And so I couldn't possibly condone their lifestyle. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. I hate how easily it still flows out of my mouth. You know, um, it's so bad, but I, my intentions were so good. Mm. Um, and that doesn't lessen its destructiveness in any way. Uh, I regret so much of that, but I think, you know, uh, for me, there's so much, in particular in the Christian faith that uh, talks about like, if it doesn't lead you know, so much of the Christian language, if it doesn't lead to lead to good fruit, um, if it doesn't lead to new life, abundant life, if it doesn't lead to flourishing, then you're getting it wrong. Um, and so when we say we love people uh, and our practices or our beliefs um, are not contributing their lives flourishing we're getting it wrong and i think that is so clear in all of this conversion therapy i mean everybody's life just gets worse <laughs> nobody yeah. flourishes i mean they're forced to sometimes pretend they are but oh i mean this we have science we have statistics we have stories we have all the proof in the world we could possibly need um to see that it's not leading to anything good for these individuals. And if it's not, then we need to be examining our understanding of love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been such a great conversation. I feel like, yeah. I feel like we could talk to you about faith and religion and like your understanding of God for a really long time. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, that would be fantastic. So maybe we'll have to come up with that another time. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, we will make everybody listen to that for the next two hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for making time to be on the pod. Um, and so much for having me. Yeah. We'll keep an eye out on what's happening in February. Um, and uh, we'll check back in with you just to see how you're doing. Cool. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for y'all's work. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on a single new episode. Our music is by Skylar Kurgle. Check him out at SkylarKurgle.com where you can see what he's up to and link to all his social media. We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on TransformPod.com or on Facebook at TransformPod. We appreciate all your questions and feedback, so please email us at TransformPod at gmail.com. We really encourage your thoughtful and positive feedback. If you disagree with us, that's fine, but we will not engage in any name-calling or dehumanizing talks, so please just don't do it. Thanks for going beyond the transition with us. Please tell me a story